So today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and we celebrate as a result of that the hope that every believer has. Looking forward to living in the perfect love, the perfect joy, and the perfect peace of God forever. So it's not just that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's not just that we're forgiven our sins. It's that we have a glorious future to look forward to and daily should anticipate as we live our lives as believers. And I want to talk about that today, of course. So in a way, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important truth claim in the Bible. In a way, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important truth claim in the Bible. So for that reason, I would like us to look at 1 Corinthians 15 and a portion of scripture there, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 19. So let's take a look at that. <clears throat> and just to make sure that you, you know this, you realize this, that the author of these words is uh, Paul, we call him Paul the Apostle, Prior to his conversion to Christ, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Jewish man. He was a rabbi, a distinguished man among his contemporaries. And he was a, an ardent opponent of Christianity. And then Christ revealed himself to Saul, and Saul's life was changed forever. And then uh, Jesus began to raise up Paul to preach the gospel, and he's written a large part of what we call the New Testament. So these are his words. So it's 1 Corinthians 15. Let me read through these, and we'll talk about it. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? See the problem? This is a church in Corinth. He's writing to them. There's problems there. And he's saying, we say that Christ is risen from the dead. How is it that there in your church, there are people there who say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, now look at how he draws these different implications. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And... If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ... That's a, another way of expressing believers who have died physically. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, and here's the classic statement, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men, all humanity, the most pitiable. You see why I'm saying that it looks to me that from this perspective, the resurrection of Christ is probably the most important truth claim in the Bible. You see what I'm saying? So Paul makes it really clear here that this is non-negotiable. It happened or forget everything. There's no sense in coming here. There's no sense in believing the Bible. There's no sense in thinking you're, when you die, you're going to go to heaven. 
It's just done. It's finished. If Christ is not risen. Now, we're not too sure what this unbelief looked like at Corinth. We're not given any information on it. And it is possible that since the Corinthians considered themselves Greeks, the Greeks and the Romans, they did not like resurrection. They did not believe in resurrection. They thought resurrection was undesirable. And it's possible that they were trying to explain the Christian resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead in a different way that would have excluded Jesus Christ being bodily raised from the dead. That's possibly what's going on here. Because really, the only people who believed in resurrection at that time, in that place in history, would have been the Jews. Outside of the Jews, people didn't believe in resurrection. It just was, like I said, not only was it disbelieved, but it was considered undesirable. Why would you want to live in this? You know, and of course, they only knew about the body as the body that suffers, injures, gets sick, grows old, and dies. And then after a body dies, it's very unpleasant what takes place after that. So that's what they're thinking. Well, who wants that? All right, so let's take a look at how Paul gets to verse 12. Look at chapter 15 again and verse, because Paul says the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a real event in history. It really happened. There were many witnesses, and the resurrection is an essential part of the gospel of your faith in Jesus Christ, your belief. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 now. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, you see what's going on here is that he preached the gospel to them. People in Corinth believed a church was formed. People would gather in each other's homes to worship the Lord and observe the Lord's Supper and baptize people and all of that. And yet there were some there who claimed to believe in Jesus but said, oh, but there's no resurrection. He says, what's going on here? That's what I preached to you. And how can it be that there's some there that don't believe it? So now he wants to say, it really happened. And that's starting in verse 3. For I, Paul says, delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Now notice what Paul is saying is, I did not come up with this. Paul is saying, I told you what I was told. This goes back to the very beginning of our faith. It starts at the earliest time. Yes, back when Christ was killed and his followers thought it was all over. Then they realized he's not dead anymore. He's raised from the dead. And all of his followers came back bold and they started to preach the gospel everywhere. He says, we all believe this. We all know this. So then he goes on and he says, so, so this is what we believe. Back to verse 3. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The argument here he's making is that this isn't an event that just simply happened and we went, oh, look what happened. We found out that this is, after all, what the scriptures said was going to happen. And now it happened. We didn't see it coming. We didn't realize it. We didn't understand it. But it happened. And now we, we know, we, we understand that this is what God had planned all along. Now he's going to talk about the historical veracity of it. He says in verse uh, 5, he was seen by Cephas, that's the apostle Peter, then by the twelve. 
After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, that would have been his half-brother, then by all the apostles. Then, Paul says, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. So you go back over this and you find out Paul is saying the resurrection really happened. It's not a dream. It's not a vision. It's not a made-up story. It really happened in history. He said there were many witnesses. And I'm not sure uh, if you realize this, but Jesus was on the earth for about 40 days after the resurrection. It wasn't just on Sunday, this day, he showed up. But for the next 40 days, Jesus would come and visit with his apostles and talk to them and teach them and go over things with them. That's how they could understand things so quickly. So the resurrection really happened. There were many witnesses, and it's an essential part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, there's really no faith. Now, when I ask you a question, when you hear the word resurrection, what comes to your mind? First, in answer to that, let me give you what would come to mind to somebody back in the first century. The word resurrection is a Greek word. So the Greeks would use the word. It would have, most people spoke Greek to some extent back in that day. So the Romans would know the word, as well as the Jews and all kinds of people. And in that day and age, this is what the, re, the word resurrection meant. And it, whether you believed in it or not, thought it possible or not, this is what everybody knew it meant. It is never ending bodily life after bodily death. Now notice I've got the word body in there. Because if you don't have the word body in there, that's not resurrection. Those who didn't believe it and those who did believe it all believed that this was what resurrection would be. Never ending bodily life after bodily death. Now let's take a look at Jesus. Because he's, he's the only one so far that's been raised from the dead. So let's take a look at Jesus, back to Matthew 27. Take a look at Matthew 27. Now let's see Jesus. And Jesus really, really died, and you're going to see that here. So if you'll turn to Matthew 27, and then let's start with verse 45. Matthew 27, verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, that's noon till 3, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? Which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we're at the end. He's about to die. Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. He breathed his last. He's dead. And when you're put on a cross and they finally take you down, which would have been the Roman soldiers, they knew when somebody was dead. And by the way, if you weren't quite dead and it was time for you to come down off the cross, 
They would kill you. And you see that when uh, in one of the narratives, the soldiers shoved spears into the um, hearts of the different ones on the cross. There were two other ones, but they didn't, Jesus, because he was already dead. All right, so you see he actually died. This is not, you know, a, this is not a, a um, oh, what do they call it? He didn't swoon. He didn't pass out or faint. He's dead. Then take a look at verse 57. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate, the Roman governor, who's in charge, and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken, down, taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb because the women were going to come back to the tomb the next day. He's dead and he's buried bodily. Now, that's what they would believe with the word resurrection. The person died bodily, dead, body in the grave. And then that same body is raised up bodily, alive forevermore. So take a look at Matthew 28 and verses 9 to 10. Just briefly take a look at this. And as they went to tell his disciples, now they, that's the women, and they've gone to the tomb to finish the preparations for a dead body. They didn't come expecting him to be alive, but quite dead. And then they were going to go home and mourn. They get to the tomb. You know what happens, right? The tomb's empty. They go back to tell the disciples, there's something wrong here. Something's terrible has happened. His body is gone. The tomb is open. We don't know where he is. And they meet Jesus. And that's where we're at here, verse 9. So they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So they saw him crucified. They watched Joseph take him from the place of execution to his brand new tomb, put him in there, shut it up. And that was that. And the next day they go, stones rolled away, tomb is empty. Uh-oh, we don't know what's going on here. They head for the disciples to make their report, and they meet Jesus. And he's very much alive. And this is going to happen, like I said, for the next 40 days. He's going to meet with them and talk to them. All right, so that's what the New Testament means by resurrection. Now, let me ask you this. What do secular people and unbelievers think? Have you ever talked to somebody who didn't believe in it? You know, I have... I'm sure probably a lot of you have. All right, so what, what, how do they try to figure this out? Well, I think you could probably summarize the common thinking of unbelievers this way. The resurrection is a myth. It was a wish that gave birth to the belief. It was a wish that gave birth to the belief. I don't want to die. I don't want my loved ones to die. I want to believe that there's something after death that I'm going to live forever and so that's what I want to believe, and that's why they made up the story about Jesus. 
That's sort of the way it, you hear people talk about it maybe out there. Now, there's two very big problems with this, and you need to listen carefully to this because this, I think, is really important. The first big problem with that the disciples wanted it to happen and they sort of made it up, or some people would add, they did see Jesus afterwards, but it was a hallucination. They, they, they missed him so much, they wanted him back so much that they imagined that they saw him and talked to him, something like that. But there's two really big problems with this. And the first one is this. The idea of resurrection, which I mentioned earlier, was known in the non-Christian world at that time but it was considered, remember what I said, both impossible and undesirable. If, if we could go in a time machine back to that time and go into Rome and say, excuse me, sir, we're conducting an interview for the 21st century, and ask them about resurrection or go maybe to Athens and speak to some Greek philosopher there, they, well, yes, resurrection, that is uh, bodily life after, never-ending bodily life after bodily death, and that's we don't believe in it, and we don't think it's possible, and we wouldn't want it anyhow. Because what they believed commonly was that when you died, you got rid of your body, and you were a free spirit floating around in the netherworld, free. That's what they thought it was, and that's what some of them looked forward to. Most of the people back in those days, death was a sorrowful thing, not much to look forward to. And it would be a place of darkness and grayness and sort of like every day is a cloudy day type of thing. So it was not a belief back in those days that people wanted to believe. Now, let's talk about the Jews because they were very different. Now, the Jews did believe in the resurrection for the most part. Now, some didn't. For example, a group of the Jews, a sect of the Jews, did not believe in the resurrection. They believed it was that people just died and that was that. But most of the Jews, probably the common man, the Pharisees and others, the priests, did believe in the resurrection. But when did they believe the resurrection would take place? At the end of time. They did not believe in a resurrection of an individual person, and they did not look at resurrection as the, the, of an individual person being the hope that they would have. They just figured at the end of time, God's going to raise everybody dead, or everybody from the dead, or some people from the dead, or the faithful believers from the dead. They weren't real clear on it, but it wasn't going to happen till the end. So this was not something any of the disciples would have expected or believed. Um, the other thing, too, to realize is that they didn't expect the Messiah to die. There was no thought that he was going to die and rise again. It just wasn't a thought back in those days. I mean, we've got a lot of writings from that time. There's a lot of knowledge from that time. We have one of the major ancient historians that you could read, a guy named Josephus, and he tells us a lot about what the Jews believed and didn't believe and how they lived and what was going on. They had no, no anticipation that the Messiah would come, get killed, then rise again. The Messiah would come and be enthroned and be the mighty king, be like David and Solomon again. They didn't look for him to die and rise again. So... Let me ask you this, though, too. This, I find this very curious. Do you have any idea how many times Jesus told his disciples what was going to happen? Did you even know that? That when you read through the Gospels, Jesus tells them he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be killed and rise on the third day. I counted in the Matthew's Gospel alone seven times. Seven times he stopped everybody and said, this is what's going to happen to me. 
and never, they never got it. In fact, the last two times was at the Last Supper, which was just hours before his, his arrest, and then right when he was arrested, he told him again. You know, where were all the male disciples after Jesus got arrested? They ran away. The women, they didn't run away. They, they, hang, they were hanging in there and actually went to the tomb, but no one expected a living Messiah. Nope. They thought it was all over. Now, here's another thing. This is also interesting to me, too, which a lot of people don't know. Dead people who came back to life are rare in the Bible. So if you look in the Old Testament, you know how many of them are in the Old Testament? Three. You know how many books are in the Old Testament? 39. Only three times. How about the New Testament? There's a few more. There's five in the New Testament, not counting the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because that's different from all the other ones. So in the whole Bible, 66 books of the Bible, you know how thick the book is, right? There's only eight people that were brought back to life, not counting Jesus. So it's not like all over the place the Bible has all these people popping out of the grave. Oh, just meet so-and-so, ping, pop. No, I know when Christ died on the cross, there was a resurrection of some of the dead in Jerusalem that came out, and I think that's in Matthew. I think that's in Matthew. You can look at that. So there was a, a big pop there, you might say. But it's, it's rare. It's not like everybody in the Bible was thinking people are going to be dying and coming back to life. And did you know that all those other people that came back to life are very different from when Jesus came back to life? Because they all would die again. Instead, we don't call that resurrection. We call that resuscitation. They died, they came back to life, but then they would die again. Jesus was resurrection. He died, came back to life, and will never die again. What do you think of that? So let's go back to Paul's words here in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm going to look again one more time at verse 19, which is the classic statement of, if you are wrong, you who believe in Jesus Christ, died, buried, and rose again, this out of all the people on the earth, you are more to be pitied than anybody else. So that's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all human beings the most pitiable, the most to be pitied. So if there is no resurrection, let me recount what he said. All is in vain. Your faith, living a pure life for God, the pleasures you might, have been, you might have given up because, well, I don't do that anymore because I'm following Christ. All your faithfulness to Jesus, serving him, doing his will, going out of your way to do the things God would have you to do. All in vain, all for nothing. You've been taken in by what would be the world's greatest fraud. You know, one of the great things that's happened with the internet is the perpetration of many frauds. <laughs> this would be greater than all of them put together. Millions, if not billions of people all over the earth today believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. If it's not true, look how many people have been deceived. The other thing is, and this is much more personal, because I think about this a lot. Both my parents are gone now. 
A long time ago, and I've told many of you this, my sister, when she was 11, contracted leukemia and less than a year, gone. If the resurrection is not true, my friends, your loved ones will die and you will never see them again. That's how serious this is. You will die and you will never even know you ever lived. You know, I used to think about this when I was a kid. I'm alive, play ball, watch TV, have my friends, eat, go visit my grandmom down in North Carolina. Life just seemed like so good, so important. I don't want to lose it. When I was a kid, I, I didn't know what was going to happen when I died. And I went all the way through into my 20s. It just felt like if you have life, you've got everything. But I knew I couldn't hold on to life forever because one day I would lose my life. And then when my sister died, it was like, wow, she's only 11 years old. You know, people can die at any time. So that added to my, what, what's going to happen here? My wondering, my perplexity. But look what Paul writes in verse 20. After verses 1 to 11, where he talks about the witnesses to Jesus, he's really alive. And why don't you believe that? Verses 12 to 19, here in verse 20, he says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and, notice this, has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What that means is simply this. Because Jesus Christ died and rose again to never die again, that means everybody who believes in him will rise from the dead to never die again. He's the beginning of it. Because he's alive forever, if you put your faith in him, you will be alive forever. And when he returns, you'll be raised from the dead. And for me, one of the greatest things of all in the Bible is that Jesus offers himself to everyone. Forgiveness, resurrection, everlasting life. And you know, by the way, you're not going to live forever here where people get sick and suffer and do bad things and die. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And that's guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ too. Because he lives, we not only will live also, but there will be a new heavens and a new earth and all evil, including death, will be expelled and gone forever. So let me say this again. Forgiveness, resurrection, life everlasting, and the new creation, our hope is that we will be living in the perfect love, perfect joy, and perfect peace of God forever in the perfect world when he comes back. That's what's involved in the resurrection. That's what's involved in believing that Jesus died for my sins and was buried and rose again that I might live forever and not die. We will not die because of Jesus. So I'd like to say in Jesus' name, if you haven't believed this, believe it because he offers it to you, to everyone, to anyone who hears and says, I want that. I want that. Please have mercy upon me. Please give me your forgiveness and eternal life. And he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he or she were dead, yet shall he or she live. And whoever, li listen to this, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And we have a saying straight out of Paul's writings, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then when he comes back, our bodies will be raised. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, here's the gospel. 
Moreover, brothers and sisters, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again according to the Scriptures. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If you will call upon the name of this mighty God, the risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you will live forever too. And we have so much to look forward to. Amen? So let's look forward to that from this day forevermore. Let's pray. Just one thing while our heads are bowed in a, a posture of prayer. If you have never personally believed the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he sent his son out of the love of his heart to die for our sins and to be buried and then rise again on the third day to never die and that you have not yet been forgiven your sins by trusting in him and you have not yet received eternal life as a gift from God, then while we're here today, I want to offer to you and urge you to believe in Jesus Christ. He is here. He is not dead. He is alive. Call upon his name. You've not done that. Let me give you that opportunity right now in the next few moments. And now, Father, may we receive these great words, these encouraging words, these amazing words and trust in you and live for you we don't have to worry about anything anymore lord because we're not going to die we can face anything or anyone with boldness and confidence because jesus you're not dead you're alive hallelujah amen